Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to the Habitat Podcast. My name is Jared Van Hees. Happy to be here. I got my boy Jesse James on the other line. What's up, dude? Hey, man. How you doing? Not too bad. I just cracked a cold one. Yeah, same here. It's been a been a crazy week. <laughs> yeah, what's going on? You wheeling and dealing some uh, some little things like houses or what? Yeah, uh, so my habitat has been put on hold, and I think it's going to be for at least the next month. Um, randomly, we decided to buy a new house on Friday. Uh, me and the wife weren't in the market, but uh, we've always wanted to go back to where I used to live over by you, mm-hmm. and the house came on the market over on the lake, and uh, we jumped at it. So we looked at it 12 hours later, put an offer in, and accepted so our 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 whole world just got flipped upside down for about a month but yeah we're excited oh my gosh how many offers came in on that house well i know it went on the market friday afternoon and between friday and saturday there was like 25 walkthroughs wow and 10 offers apparently wow what a time to be in the real estate market <laughs> yeah yeah it's uh i think we just kind of lucked out uh we kind of went with our best foot forward because we knew what we wanted and hopefully it's going to be our forever home so now i'm excited to sell our house and get on with it it's going to be uh crazy with the kids running around and trying to pack but it'll be fun it'll be worth it when we're on the on the boat this summer with you guys so 
Yeah, man, it'll be a great time. And you gotta remember, we gotta fit our podcast in every now and then, you know. Yeah, maybe we can do it when we're sitting on the boat. Probably not, but <laughs> that'd be fun. We can dream, right? Yeah. So what's been going on with you, man? I know uh, you've been recovering a little bit. You want to kind of fill everyone in? What's going on? Yeah, might as well. Um, if everybody hasn't noticed yet, I sound a little bit different. Um, actually, on March 1st, about a month and a half ago, I was diagnosed with a stage 1 cancer, uh, oral cancer. So that was pretty big uh, kick in the nuts. And, I mean, just a whirlwind of of emotion and stress and doctor's appointments and work and, oh, whatever. I, I got into surgery right away, um, like, not quite four weeks later, and now I am, let's see, three weeks today. Three weeks ago today, I, uh, I had surgery, so I'm recovering, I'm swollen, it hurts to talk. But uh, I'm happy to be cancer-free now. Um, University of Michigan did a great job. And i got to go back every three months and get checked or whatever. But um, as of right now, man, I'm on the mend. And uh, I'm just glad to be here, <laughs> you know. So it's been crazy. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's crazy. I knew, uh, I mean, I kind of knew you were thinking something was wrong prior to when you got tested, but it's just crazy how uh, things can, turn of events can change so quickly. And uh, But I'm glad uh, everything worked out, and, you know, now you just got to look past it and go on with life. You know, you got that baby boy coming, and uh, you got to put it behind you now. Yeah, yeah, I'll tell you what, man. There's nothing uh, scarier than not knowing what, stage exactly or if they had metastasized or you know it's craziest stuff I've ever thought about in my life but um, yeah I got kids and I gotta grow up with them so there was only one way to go um, and basically uh, got it removed real quick and uh, all the results came back good so it's a little PSA for oral cancer if you have anything in your mouth that's a uh, that doesn't go away, like a lesion or something like that that's persistent and doesn't go away, tell your dentist to get it checked out. It can save your life. So, um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. I uh, I made a dentist appointment, like, a day after uh, I found out. It kind of just freaked me out and hit home, even though, you know, just, just crazy. Yeah. So, anyways, but, well, let's, uh, let's talk about something good. What about... Uh, what about Matt, our guest? Yeah, so we got our buddy Matt Caulfield. Uh, he lives up in the Thumb. Uh, I met him a few years ago. I used to call on his uh, electric, electric business. He He's a contractor up there in the Thumb. I used to try to sell him stuff. But uh, he's just an avid hunter, um, big fisherman, and... He inherited some property that his brother owned who passed away from cancer, unfortunately. Um, But he's just kind of been, you know, his brother had a dream and goals for his property, and Matt kind of took it and is trying to make his brother's wishes come true and develop this property with Habitat and 
carry on the tradition with his family and his uh, nieces and nephew. So I think it'll be fun to talk to him and just kind of see what he's doing up there. Cause I know it's definitely different territory up in the thumb. It's a flat land, as we call it. Yeah, that's, but that's pretty awesome. I, uh, but, yeah, let's, uh, let's get Matt on the line and um, we'll give him a chat and see what, he, see what he has to say. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like it's going to be a nice uh, legacy property for his family. So let's call him up. Stand by. Perfect. All right, Matt, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Jesse. Yeah, hey, guys, how you doing? All right, good. We got everybody on the line. We have Matt Caulfield with us, and we are discussing a few different things tonight. Matt's a Michigan native. Matt, why don't you go ahead and get started and tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, Well, I'm just your average Joe Hunter like you guys, I think. (laughs) Um, I own some property up in the Thumb of Michigan, Gatestown, Michigan. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Um, yeah, a little bit. Closest town might be Cass City. Okay, yeah, I got is, there. Is, is not a big town, but just a small rural area up there. And yeah, we hunt. We have 50 acres up there. Um, the story about that property is is about well, roughly 20 years ago, my my, unfortunately, my late brother bought that property when he was young, and I was just coming out of high school, and we hunted that property, and at uh, about seven years ago, um, my brother was diagnosed with cancer, unfortunately, and um, unfortunately, he didn't beat that battle, so... He kind of got me going on hunting as in, when I was younger and brought me up hunting. And after he bought land there and we hunted together, he kind of passed that land along to me. And now here I am doing what you guys love to do, this habitat stuff. And I've been kind of picking away at it for the last six, seven years, doing what I can. And trying to keep it going, keep it going for his, he has a son named Wyatt, I have some boys too, and we're just doing our thing, you know. Yeah, that's, that's pretty neat, you got, a, you got a legacy to live up to, you know. Yeah, so. that's about what it is, you know, my brother my brother asked me to keep the land going, and keep it, you know, just take care of it, and that's what I'm doing, my sister-in-law owns the property, and we're just hunting as a family still, trying to keep the family tradition going like he asked me to do. And that's what we're doing. Very cool. Yeah, that's cool. You guys uh, get to keep it in the family and keep his legacy and tradition going, and have all those memories. Yeah, that's what it is too. It's just all about keeping it going for the kids, and you know, enjoying it as a family. And and then some of his friends still hunt with me to this day and help me keep it going. So it's you know, it's unfortunate, but it's you know, there's a lot of memories there, and every year we laugh and cry about all the good stuff and it's it's that's what it is very good now so you you've been hunting this property up in the thumb and i know you know it's kind of flat up there i've been up there and uh drove up there quite a bit and so i mean did you really get into the habitat with your brother or um did you hunt the property for years and decide to 
start doing some habitat work? I mean, how did you really get into habitat? Well, my my brother, he he dabbled with planting some trees and doing some things, and we weren't really weren't real educated in the habitat side of it like we know today. Um, it, when we started there, we lined the whole property. We have roads um, all along our property. There's a road dividing. It's a 50-acre chunk, and there's a angled road that cuts right between the 220s. So it's, okay. it's really tricky. It's a, you know, there's a lot of road hunters. And the first thing he did the first year, we all got poison ivy doing it. That's a funny story, but we all got poison. <laughs> we planted, we replanted, I should say, or transplanted hundreds and hundreds of pine trees that were already on the property, just seedlings. And the first thing he wanted to do was line the roads to, to just make a barrier so people couldn't see in as much. Great idea. And, and that was that was really, the I think, the biggest habitat improvement he made in his years there. And Okay. So I kind of, you know, help, I helped him with that and still look back, and them trees are still there, and they play a role in some other things we'll talk about today, you know, later tonight, but... Um, so the habitat part for me really came after he asked me to take care of the property and make sure it keeps going and keep his son involved and, you know, and his nephews, which are my sons, that, that, that part really kicked in after he passed. I mean, the, the, the true habitat part of it. But before that, we just hunted and killed a lot of deer and, and had great deer camps. I mean, we had, our deer camps are the best, so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I've, I've seen your setup when I used to come up to your shop up there, and it seemed like you guys had a pretty cool tent camp going. And yeah, we still we still carry that tradition. Yeah. Very good, very good. So, I mean, you made a good point because, you know, I know Jared has two young girls, and I got a young boy, and, I mean, what better way to get your kids involved than actually get out and start doing some work, you know? Yeah, yeah. Matt, what, this is Jared. What, what do you do for a living? How how long have you been living in that area? Um, how long have you been deer hunting? You know, tell us a little bit about you, about you and your, your personal life. Well, I'm, I'm 44 years old. I was born and raised here in Seabling, Michigan, which is about 15 miles to the west of Gagetown. So it's a short, short drive for me to get to my property. And, uh, yeah, we, I was born and raised around here. I grew up duck hunting, fishing. I mean, we live on the water, Saginaw Bay. So, I mean, we were hunting and fishing since we were kids. And so that's, that's I, I still, I've never moved from the area, always been here. Um, like I'm an electrician by trade, you know, now I'm an estimator and project manager. And Now you got you that know. comfy desk job, huh? Yeah, right, you know what that's like. <laughs> Both of you guys do. Um, you know, I have a couple kids. Uh, I have a... Happily married, I have a uh, 17-year-old son, Cooper, who you guys have met. Um, he's quite an yeah. outdoorsman. Yeah, I mean, dude. awesome kid, man. Yeah, he's he's all about the outdoors. Um, I have a uh, 10-year-old son who's just getting into it all. I mean, he's been in the blinds with me, and he's going to start killing stuff pretty quick here for this year. Um, yeah, it's it, small town, small town people right here, and you know, wouldn't change it for nothing. This is what we do. Well, and to kind of give your viewer or view, listeners a background, I met you when I was in electrical sales, and I used to 
come up to your guys' shop knocking on your door begging for business, and uh, we just kind of hit it off because we had the same interest. I mean, I think I had to rack up a few thousand dollars at Lucky's just to get yeah. you guys to like me, but. <laughs> <laughs> talk, talk to your hunting by lunch. That's all it takes to get to my heart. Uh, me too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the best so now, customers to have. I've always told Jesse that when he was at his last company. I'm like, dude, you get to call on guys like us all day long. And, you know, like, it's, it's just so much nicer and easier and more fun when you can just BS about gear instead of awkwardly having really a conversation is. about nothing, you know? <laughs> it really is. I mean, if you if you can yeah. sell to a like-minded person and do your job, you got it made. Exactly. Yeah, I'd walk into their office and... uh Matt's owner would, him and Matt would give me shit for about 10 minutes yelling at me about pricing and, and then I'd be off to lunch and having fun. Yep. Yep. Well, so you just came off, uh, kind of off habitat, but you just came off the ice fishing, uh, and walleye fishing and I know, uh, you, you got us, uh, up there ice fishing this year for the first time, which was a freaking riot, even though <laughs> we didn't do too good, but. Well, it was still it's still an experience. Yeah, yeah, especially when you got to tow me back six miles off the bay at my new quad that didn't run. Well, that happens. <laughs> Jared, I just hope you're all right from all the weight boats on the land. But. <laughs> yeah, I hit my butt still a little bruised. Yeah, that's probably a story for another day, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was a good time. I uh, I was curious, how many walleye you end up catching this year? Uh, through the, through the ice, I didn't fish much, so I probably only caught, I think, 35, roughly. Okay. But through, on the boats, we did real well on the Saginaw River, you know, jigging for them before the river closed. Okay, gotcha. I actually caught a tagged, an eight-pound tag fish just before it closed, so that was my highlight of the year. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty But cool. we don't, you know, we don't fish as much as some guys, but we still get our fishing in. Oh, and it's in your backyard. You don't feel as obligated. Exactly, you know. And then with kids, and you know, I got a great, I got a great wife, and she lets me go. But there's still other obligations to attend to. So, I understand that. Yeah. So back to your property. You know, um, I've been fortunate enough to kind of see the layout of it. So in my head, I kind of understand a little bit what you're talking about, but. So with 50 acres, I mean, that that's a pretty small chunk compared to most. Um, I mean, some guys have 10 like or 15 like Jared, and I got a 15. I mean, how are you dealing with the hunting pressure with that small acreage? And, I mean, how has the habitat helped you with your neighbors? Well, you've seen the layout, and you've seen the roads. You've seen, the, I mean, the roads surrounding it. You've seen the road that cuts through it. Yep. And we are, if anyone knows the thumb area, it's the flattest land in probably the country. <laughs> yeah. So there's nowhere for deer to hide. And we're cut, our roads are cut into square miles. So literally, the road hunters can see a deer from road to road if there's not a woods blocking their view. Now, when you say road hunters, yeah. are these guys, are they poaching out of their truck? or how I'm are, not going to say they're poaching, but... They're driving around and they're pinning deer, you know. Yeah, okay. And, and it might be for land they have permission for. 
But they're they're constantly moving deer where we hunt. No no deer is relaxed come gun season. Now bow hunting is a different topic that we can you know I mean the rut is the rut's the time of year where I concentrate my hunting on. I mean the the gun hunting is something we do as a as a camp as a family, but the pressure during gun hunting is just unreal, especially where we are. And you know. As far as the habitat we did, like I said, my brother years ago planted the trees to somewhat obstruct the view into the property, which helps, you know. And there's a lot of things we try to do to to deter the road hunters, you know, <laughs> planting trees, planting no. grass, planting just. Yeah, I guess I guess let's let's get into that a little more. What else have you done um, in terms of? management options to, to give your deer a, a better spot to hide, if you will? To give our – on 50 acres, like ours, I divided in 20s or 25s, you know, and we have a – we have a one, – one chunk of our property is about a 10-acre cedar swamp. And oh, Jesse, okay. can, Jesse can attest to that. He's seen that aerial of it. It's, it's a dense cedar swamp, and it holds most of our deer. And – what we did, what we do on our property is, is basically stay out of that. I mean, and everyone's heard of you know the sanctuary, the whatever people may call it. We stay out yeah, of that, nope. you know, and we've worked on that, and it's taken us years. I mean, my brother, before he passed, his blind was in the middle of the swamp, which we call it the, the ten acre swamp. Yep. And and, and as much as to be. his friends, what's that? It's a good spot to be. <laughs> it was, and as much as his, as I learned about habitat and started listening to the Jeff Sturgis of the world, and you know the, you know the guys that you learn from, you know who are professionals at this, you learn you might have to back out of there to hold deer on your land. Of course. And and I started doing that. I started backing out of places, moving blinds and all that, and. And it really helped over the years. I mean, that's you had to back out, had to get on the edges of the roads, had to move out, had to hunt less. There's, there's a lot of things we do, and see, we have a huge deer herd there, and we see okay, deer really? every day. I mean, it, it's just. I mean, do you see a three-year-old deer? <laughs> You're lucky if you do, but you know. <laughs> No, you're talking, you got a you got a you got a big doe herd then. We do. We have a yeah. We I, I, what most people would call a doe factory. We have a doe factory, and the and the pressure when the pressure gets heavier, they move in. So or as I as I call it, a lesbian deer herd. <laughs> you could say that. <laughs> yeah, we. I mean, there's not a single set which which makes it makes it really nice for our kids to hunt. Our kids have never been bored in the blinds when we take them hunting. Okay. We see anywhere from from four deer to 15 deer a day. Wow. And, oh, and cool. I can literally count on one hand in the last 18 years how many times we've never seen a deer. And really? it might be twice. It might be twice. And it might have been after a major ice storm or some kind of wind storm, you know, something that really messed the deer up. We see deer every day we hunt. Well, that in itself is, uh, I mean, just talking to local Michigan hunters and more up north, but, I mean, that's that's a blessing to have to see deer. I, I, I would pay 
a lot of money to see that many deer all day. It, it really is. And, I, you know, I can sit here and complain all day about the lack of two- or three-year-old deer that we have on our property. Two- or three-year-old male deer, I should say. I can complain yeah. about that. But on the other hand, I know we're fortunate to be able to see deer and, you know, I see both sides of it. Now, do you know why you have so many deer up in the thumb? I mean, it has probably has to do with what type of land, and it's mostly... What, it does, it does. Go ahead, I was going to say, you've seen those sugar beet, uh, sugar beet piles up there at the factories, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they literally climb them to eat them. Uh, where we are is, we're out by Gagetown, we have a, a big swamp out there. It's, it's probably two or three square miles. Oh, cool. And it's a state land swamp, and it's dense, and there's places you can't go. And on the, on the fringes of that, there is our property, and there's other, you know, there's a few farmers that have you know, 20-acre chunks, 40-acre chunks, and so on and so forth. And then for, for three miles, you will have barren field or, or farmland, which is great agriculture, and that's what the deer all want to eat. Yep. So, so they basically, once the pressure is on, come pretty much November 1st, maybe November, you know, pheasant hunting pushes them to us, definitely the gun hunting November 15th. Once that's on, they rush to our area. They are okay. coming, they come literally two hours or through hours to get to that major swamp. So we are the hub of our area. And there's a few, there's a few of them if you look at aerials in the thumb of Michigan. There's the Argyle Swamp, there's the, there's different swamps in the thumb where deer herd. Yeah. And we, we have the Gatestown area. So our land is literally across the road from it, within 100 yards of it. So that's, we are, we're in a pretty rich area of deer. I mean, the age structure isn't what we would like, but we're in a great area to see deer, and, you know, it's we're fortunate for that. Yeah, especially with all that hunting pressure. It sounds like you guys have a pretty good setup. But yeah, I mean, we're working on it. We're, we're getting better every year and trying to figure out ways to get by that hunting pressure. Okay. Well, now, Matt, this question might stir the pot a little, but is there APR in place up there? Uh, there isn't, unfortunately. I mean, our property, my brother started an APR on our 50 acres, I'm going to say probably in 2000. Okay. We started a six-point rule, and prior to that, we had no problem always filling two tags. That would be my dad, my brother, myself. We all filled two tags, always shot our two bucks. They might have been four points and six points. And then we, we kind of evolved, and he set the rule that six points are better, and and it didn't take long before we were eight points or better, and we just imposed that on ourselves. And we have one neighbor right across the road. I won't mention his name, but he is a, he's a QDM guy, and he's involved, and he does – he's an age structure guy. He's three-year-old or better. So there's a 40 acres across the road from me, and then there's our – 50 at our camp does do APR, but the rest of the surrounding areas do not. And and this is not an exaggeration. I literally can see three to five orange suits from my gun blind on November 15th from my stand. From my stand. I mean, that's on property lines or, you know. So that's the kind of pressure we have. And I've added it up, and within a – Within, like, a one-mile radius of us, there's probably legitimately 20-something hunters. <laughs> I mean, wow. 
Well, this, this is good. We're talking to you because I think a lot of guys out there can relate to your situation. That's, yeah, there, uh, that's. I mean, if you come to this area, I don't know how it is Southern Michigan as much. I mean, I was down in Howell for a little bit, and I know it's more wooded, more dense. And um, but here, it's woodlots. You know, in the middle of agriculture, so it's it's a tough game here. I don't think people understand it. You know, and when I get on the habitat forums and talk with guys, I don't think. I think some of them understand it, but I don't think many people understand the severity of the pressure we get, you know, when you can okay. see that many guys that are literally within 140 yards from your, your shack or your blind because it's property lines and roads. Yeah. Yeah, stuff. Good old Michigan deer hunting. That, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, uh, As I just come back from Iowa on a scouting trip, I have, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll get into that. Um, yeah, okay. The uh, that reminds me all those all those hunters you're seeing um, and all the deer you have. I mean, sounds like there's just very hunter and target rich environment. When it comes to your habitat, how do you plant anything that doesn't get mowed down in a week or two? Or like, like what are you planting, and and how how are the deer not browsing that down to the dirt, or maybe they are? And what do you do about that? Just kind of curious on what your what your uh, strategy is with the like the browse pressure? That's a that's a good question, Jared. And and if I you know I'm no professional, I'm no habitat. I mean, consultant. I don't get paid to do anything. But I've, I like I, I told you guys, I've done this stuff for about six seven years, and I spent a lot of money on stuff that never got out of the ground or or got out of the ground and was wiped out within months. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. Um, I can't plant bushes. I can't plant the, the the dogwoods, the nine barks. I can't, you know, I can't plant shrubs. I've tried, and I just can't. The only shrub that survives on our place is in which I know some people don't like it, you know, is, um, that, well, there's the invasive ones, you know, that people don't autumn like. Autumn olive, maybe? Yes, autumn olive thrives on ours in certain areas. It's not out of control. I'm not worried about it. I've actually it. transplanted. I've transplanted our autumn to put them in strategic places, and it's worked. But it's not out of control on ours at all, so I don't worry about it. And I know some people don't like it, but as far as the the good the good shrubs that you'd like to plant that you buy, I, I can't. I've tried. I've planted. I, I'd like to say two thousand of them. Wow. And wow. This is nothing. I mean, they, they browse them to nothing. They might still be a foot tall, but they're never going to get more than a foot tall. Right. Just because of the, the amount of doe families I have. And, you know, which is good to see. At least they're eating them. I know that they're doing good. You know, I've learned to, I've learned to plant stuff that they don't like, like, you know, Norway spruce <laughs> and to try to, you know, make more cover. Yeah, I've even it's, heard, it's hard. Uh, I've even heard they'll bite the tops off those too. I'm not sure, but they have. They 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 nipped mine one a uh, few winters ago when it was real rough. Okay. I, I I mean the one thing I'm trying to really grow is uh, speckled alder. Yeah. And you guys, I uh, you uh, have you heard of Scott Bishop? Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, he passed away years ago. Yep. Um, I went to a walkthrough on his property, and that was really that was really the turning point in my habitat, which sold me on. Doing what I do now is once I did a walkthrough on his property, um, I seen what he did and I bought trees from him. And I actually, 
this spring I found a little colony of trees I planted about three years ago that have all survived and they're starting to thrive. I probably have 12 or 15 of them. And I'm actually going to go cage them this year or screen them so they do survive further and they they will produce once they get, you know, start dropping seed. Okay. So I'm hoping to I'm hoping to produce my own seed of Scott Bishop's alders. Yeah, Jesse awesome. Jesse, this guy, uh Scott Bishop. I I never met him or never never knew him, but um Chesting area. Yeah, I'm like Michigan Sportsman Forums. Um yeah. he was always a very helpful guy on there and he had passed. That's really where I got my start. Not to interrupt there. No, no, that's really where I got my start is Michigan Sportsman Forum. Okay. Yeah, jumping yeah. on there after my brother after my brother left us and you know and asked me to do what I could do. I was looking for help and I went to the habitat there and I learned a lot from them guys. That's where, you know. Yeah. All, yeah. All I was gonna say was uh, Jim Browker actually videotaped one of. I don't know if he videotaped or not, but it's on his YouTube. Um, videotaped one of Scott's walkthroughs, I think, af- yep. after he had passed, I believe. Yeah, Jim, they do uh, Habitat Day there still to yeah. this day. Oh, okay, okay. I'm going to have to yep. get up to um, one time. Scott's, Scott's wife is Christy, I believe her name's Christy, and, you know, they come there and they do a Habitat Day and they hold a, a four, you know, or a, it might be a QDMA thing or just a ha- – it's, it's, it's nice. They still do it there and – his 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 property is something else, and anyone that wants to get into habitat stuff, his is one to investigate. <laughs> well, if I'm not mistaken, um, they, the family still sells some of his alder, just speckled alder trees, right? You can actually they do. Yep. You every spring you can trees and plant them. Yep. Every spring you can buy the seedlings or some transplants, and it's an aggressive tree. And I, I've seen the thickets that he planted on his property, and. Just little things like that. If you can clusters of those, can you know you can you can put a mature deer on your property. I believe if you have a decent sized thicket, you know. Yep. Yeah. It's all of those. Thick. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so it really it really sounds like on your property. I mean, the deer aren't so much looking for food because you have all the farms around. There's plenty of. You're food, right. So yeah. Really, you're That's focusing good. on cover. You're right, Jesse. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I plant food plots, but by no means are they my priority. No, I've I've learned over the last seven years that cover is king, and I mean they they only have to walk 300 yards to eat in a lush bean field or a sugar beet field or whatever. Yeah, how are you going to compete? So they're not going to do that during the day. I mean, obviously they're not going to walk through the ambush to get there. So, (laughs) well, that's kind of cool because I mean it's. You know, really, when you talk about habitat, everyone's first train of thought goes to food plots. And this just kind of shows you that, you know, food plots are obviously uh, have a very good impact, but it's not what maybe you should be focusing on depending on how your property lays out. I I would agree 100% with that. And, um, and from what I've learned from a gentleman, Jeff Sturgis, I mentioned his name before. Have you guys heard of him? Yep. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that that guy, to me, is the most knowledgeable guy on small pressured properties that I've ever read about or, you know, listened to. And to be honest, he started hunting in Cass City, Michigan, which is 10 miles from where I am. Yeah. Okay, yeah. He actually used so to he, live down here by us, too. So he totally understands what it's like to have pressure and uh, to to take that pressure and use it to his his advantage. And he, I've heard him talk about that food plots are not, yeah, don't prioritize food plots. Sometimes you know 
the deer are going to eat where they're going to eat, provide cover, and put them on your property in daylight hours when you can hunt them. And I've tried to uh, tried to adopt that, and it's what I mean. We definitely have learned to hold deer on our property in the daylight hours, and by moving our blinds and doing little things, they're there and they come out in the daylight. We have. I, I, I'd like to think that we have gotten better at that over the last four or five years where we see deer every day. And it might not be that three-year-old that we want to, you know, that we have on camera at night, but we're still seeing deer and it's enjoyable. And, you know, what else can you ask for when you're in a high-pressure area in Michigan? Yeah. You know, that's kind of my theory. So. Now, Matt, you mentioned you do have some food plots. Um with all the competing food around there, what have you found that works, and what kind of soil are you guys dealing with up there? Uh, where we are, Jesse, we have we we have sandy soil. It's not good. It, grow, it grows spruce trees good. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. It what what I found over the years, and my brother started years ago. We we started the food plots and. Pretty much what he started, I still hold the same food plots, and it's like three, I'm going to say quarter acre plots. So we don't even have one acre on our 50 acres, you know. And I and I know some people say you should have about 10% food plots per your acreage, but I kind of strayed from that just because we have agricultural fields bordering, you know, Everywhere they're all around there. us. So I kept the same food plots going, and when we planted brassicas or we planted – the deer mow them down so quick, it's not even funny. I mean, with uh, with 15 or 20 deer on your property, you know, they're, it just mows them down. And I, I, I finally realized that, and I've done soil tests, I've added fertilizer, I've added lime, I spent the money. I finally got a system where I do only rye, oats, and clover. And it's a, it's a sustainable plot that I plant in the spring or in the fall. I okay. plant it. You know, in August, and it's lush come October. The deer keep it mowed down right till it freeze up, and then the snow comes, and they pretty much quit digging for it when the snow flies. You know, muzzle loading. They kind of leave. They they still stay in our area, in on our property, but they just they start going to the other, the bigger plots where there's maybe a clover or a winter rye field that has a higher you know, some higher rye where they can get too easier through the snow. But that really is all I grow anymore, and I don't fertilize. I don't nothing. And 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 I they look like a they look like a fairway on a golf course. Ah, nice. Well, yeah. For for about five years, I've been doing that, and I I, I built my soil up with my rye. And every spring, the clover comes up, and the rye comes back up, and I kind I kind of mow that. I mow that down. I started doing that for other reasons to get rid of the stuff. I don't want it in the spring, you know, for other reasons. But yeah, so you've been putting back and getting some organic matter matter over the years into that yeah, soil, which has been helping. It's it's worked really good, you know. And I read about that from boy, I don't even know who. I mean, I can name the guys, you know, back in the from the from the habitat form Jake Eilinger, I think was one you guys know him I've seen you guys interviewed him yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, he, I, I know I, I've read his stuff about you know turning stuff back into the dirt and helping you know I mean these are all the I mean I picked all this stuff up from these guys you know I didn't come up with this stuff on my own I just started listening to these guys and reading and and it worked you know 
it's just it turned into a you know I tried growing all the different stuff by buying the fertilizers and buying this and you know it really wasn't it wasn't working with the amount of deer I have and the crappy soil I have. It was just like you know what this is what works and and it has I haven't changed a thing in the last I think four years I've been doing the same rotation and I plant the same stuff every year and 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 the deer love it every evening and you know in the mornings they munch on it before they head to their destination plots in the daylight. So we see we see all the does and all the yearling bucks and your occasional two-year-old. They'll come and eat it in daylight hours before they head to their, you know, destination plots, and that makes for good hunting for us. So you got you got a little appetizer plant going that's, on That's there. what it is. I think that's what all food plants are, <laughs> just, a, yeah. just a munching spot, you know. Well, yeah, I don't know okay, what other goal so. you would want to try to achieve, um, with, you know, with with those. That's that's pretty pretty darn good right there. I mean, yeah, I can't I can't plant beans. I can't I can't do peas. I can't do you know the, I can't do corn. It, there's just too small plots with yeah. too many deer. It's just not it's not practical. Oh, that's cool. You found what works though. So. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. and and I would recommend that to anyone. Like I said, I'm no professional or anything, but anyone who doesn't have great soil. But wants to wants to view deer and have them coming to a sustainable plot that's going to last all all fall and all you know into hunting season is plant rye and oats and you know that's the stuff that's going to bring them in and keep growing and they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna manicure it themselves they're gonna eat it and keep it mowed down and it's gonna stay fresh so so it kind of sounds like the system's working for you also in the fact. That it's low maintenance compared to some food plots, so then you can oh, kind of take yeah. your time and focus it on other things. Yeah, it it is. I mean, I go out there and I scrape the ground up, I put it down, and I, I culty pack it in and kind of walk, you know, walk away from it. I, I do. Okay. I go out and round up. You know, I think in uh, July I'll go round, throw some roundup down just to kill it all, and then I I scrape it up, and I don't I don't disc it, I don't turn it over. I just scrape the ground and break up all that matter and kind of drill it back into the ground, and that's about it. It's simple. Yeah, I know that on uh, the food plots that Jesse and I put in last year um, on my property actually turned out amazing for what a lot of people were calling a drought. Um, but like Jeff Sturgis says, that, that young rye, and, you know, <clears throat> after... Our plot was already established. I overseeded with the rye, so you can go in. Layered it. Yeah, Layered exactly. It. You can go in. Um, I actually did it twice. Yep. Um, planted the peas and the oats first, and yep. then uh, you go in and find your bare spots and just overseed one of rye, and then two weeks later do it again. And I tell you what, I couldn't agree more on those deer were in there in daylight every single day. I mean... Yeah, it's it's a, I do the same thing, Jared. I go in overseed mine, like toward the end of October. I'll go in and over, just walk through there with my my bag cedar over my shoulder, and I'll overseed them too. Yep, that's the only only cedar I have, so it works yeah. pretty good. I mean, if I could grow, if I could grow, you know, three acre food plots, you you seen, you know, you seen we have a little tracker, and I have a disc, and I have all, you know, I could do that, but it's just. It's not practical where we're at just because of the farm fields we have, and mm-hmm. you know there's there's no reason. I mean, and plus every food plot we have, 
I want to get to my blinds where they can't see me getting to them. I'm sure you guys have seen heard of that. You know, it's like don't scare deer off your plot when you leave your blind and don't scare them when you're going to your blind. So, so the smaller that, they... Yeah, that brings me to my next question, Matt. Um, okay. Were you going to say that the, the smaller what? I was going to say the smaller my plots are, the more area I have to get to my blinds or where I can put my blinds. Okay, perfect. That's what I was going to ask. Um, I was going to ask if you ever plant any sort of screen for your access, or if that, ha- or maybe that's your your trees or hinge cuts or um, something like that. And also, are you hunting over these food plots? Are your stands and blinds right on the food plots? Are they, you know, 100 yards back in the woods so you can kind of watch them? Or tell me a little bit more about that. Um, our food plots are actually all on the, um, they're not far from the roads. They are screened a little bit by our switchgrass that we planted in our open areas. Our land is probably 40, 30% woods, 40% switchgrass. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say our switchgrass is great because it's, you, you, they still can smell the neighbors blowing across it. Yeah. They can see the neighbors climbing up in their trees. They can see us, you know, if we do something wrong. So our switchgrass isn't necessarily key to our property, but um, what I did was our food plots are small, and they're tucked up against our cedar swamp, and they're tucked up against the river bottom. So our deer, we don't intrude them areas. And what I did, we actually have, um, as far as gun hunting, we have gun shacks. I mean, we actually have shacks up on stilts, and we kind of look for the comfort. We Come gun hunting, we kind of forget about our scent a little bit and go to relaxing, you know, that type of hunting. So what I did with our shacks three years ago, I pulled them all. They were on the end of our food plots where when you got in and out of a blind, the deer would see you. I pulled all of our blinds, one of them out of the swamp, and I pulled the rest of them out of the open fields. And I literally put them, you'd laugh, they're literally within five to ten yards from the roads. So, okay. so we can get dropped off out of a truck hunter. and climb up into a blind <laughs> in, our, in our moccasins. From You know, coming from deer camp, we can wear our moccasins and sweatpants if we want during gun season. I mean, we just do not intrude <laughs> the property at all. So we can climb in our blinds. You can, you, can still see the, you can still see our food plots, but they're about 170 yards away, maybe 130. But we can get into them because of the pine trees I mentioned that my brother planted years ago along the roads. Our blinds, our, our gun shacks are tucked in them pines. So we basically back out of the property for gun season. So okay. that, that's been our key to seeing daytime deer, is getting out of the open fields and not walking into the fields unless we retrieve a deer, and we usually do that at night anyway. So, I mean, that's made a huge difference on seeing daytime deer. Oh, man, I can't tell you how much I love hearing what you just said about all that. That sounds awesome for high-pressure hunting. I'll tell you what, my friends that helped me do it looked at me like I was nuts, and when I moved my brother's blind out of the swamp, one of my good buddies, Daryl, who was my brother's best friend, still hunts with us to this day and helps me do the habitat work, he damn near kicked my ass (laughs) and cried at the same time when we took his skidster into the swamp and pick my brother's blind up and pull it out. He said, the memories Wait. that I've had here with your brother, I'll never forgive you for doing this. Oh, man. But I'll tell you what. Was that the Daryl you met ice fishing? Yeah, Daryl, yeah, Big D, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> since, since we moved that blind, though, 
we've held deer in, in our, that little 10-acre cedar swamp that never leave anymore. But prior to that, every time we started going in there, we'd blow them out. You know, I mean, it's, it's common sense after you figure this stuff out. You're, you can't walk into a cedar swamp with a crispy layer of one-inch ice on the dirt and break it, you know. It, and I, I finally got through to him, I think. <laughs> he realized now we're seeing the deer daily, you know. But it was a hard thing to do to move the blinds that my brother set before me. And we oh, literally yeah. plucked, we took a skidster out there and plucked five blinds out of the ground, picked them right up out, and went and drilled new holes and set them all right next to the roads. And I, I still to this day will say it's the best move we ever made. I mean, for snow here now and just and not intruding the property. So what are these uh, gun checks like? Because... I, uh, I'm in the middle of kind of designing one or looking for one on the market for my up north property. And I know Jared and I have been talking. We wanted to put a, a shack, if you may say, on his property for late season hunting. I mean, how, how are yours designed? Are they designed just for gun hunting or can you shoot a bow out of them? How high are they? Give me a little dimensions on them. Our, our shacks are strictly gun hunting. Okay. Um, and, and they're, 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 they're nice. I mean, they're vinyl siding or steel siding, and they're insulated okay. with carpet in them, and they have office chairs in them, and you know, they're 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 old school, traditional Michigan hunting, maybe with a little kick to them. <laughs> they're pretty nice. What if I, if I'm bow hunting the rut, I stay away from them, and I hunt my tree stands and ladder stands, and away from them. But when it comes to gun hunting, yeah, they're they're the Cadillac of gun stands, windows in them. You know, either so single being electrician, you probably wired them all up. Didn't you? Oh no, no, no. there's no power in them. <laughs> no, there's no power, Jesse. <laughs> well, we are close enough to the road where I probably could get power now, but no, no, they're they're comfortable though. I mean, they're comfortable for our kids to sit in, and you know, you could take your wife in them, and she's comfortable. You can kick your shoes off, and and that's to us. That's what gun hunting is. You know, we treat that more of the traditional style Michigan hunting. You know, we grew up that way, hunting up north and in shacks. But, I mean, don't don't get me wrong. When it comes to the rut and all that, I'm hardcore. I'm in a tree all day long, and, you know, I'm doing my scent control and all that. Well, let's, but, let's, let's cover that real quick. We're kind of still on that subject. Your tree stands now, okay, we, we know where your gun blinds are. They're kind of off the food plots. They're kind of on the edges of the property. Uh, it sounds like you're giving your deer some... Uh, Intrusion-free uh, property yeah, that's room. Cool. Yep. Um, now, when it comes to the rut, what type of habitat, or maybe trees, or what what kind of specifics are you uh, are you placing these stands at? Or you know, is it the cedar swamp? Is it the switchgrass? Like, like where are you finding that the deer are moving a lot through during the rut? Well. I think we talked, you know, we talked about how we have, did, did we mention I have a doe factory? <laughs> <I didn't know. laughs> yeah. We have the does, and and pretty much toward the end of October, they they move in. They find, you know, they find our, our food plots where they can keep their fawns and they can keep themselves fed all day long until they need to go to the, so we I stick close to them, but without going through them. So, yeah, I have a 10-acre cedar swamp, but, you know, that's, that I have probably three blinds in for different winds, and then across the road, 
Um, on our other spot, it's a river bottom with some pine trees and swish grass. You know, I have some stands over there, and I, you know, I'm just doing your your normal thing. I'm hunting where the does are going. Okay. I'm trying to. I'm hunting the does, and we don't necessarily have three three year old deer or four year old deer living on our property. We have a ton of year and a half year old deer. I see five six a day, at least, of the year and a half year old deer. They're they're not quite kicked off the property yet by them does. Yeah. But but with all them does come rut season. I mean that's that's when we get the neighbor you know the the good deer the mature ones to start cruising our property. I get about a week or two window where I have good hunting. You know I'm not gonna lie. I, like I told you guys, I can see deer all day long every day. But for me to see a mature deer, it either has to get pushed through our property due to pressure, or I have to do it during the rut. You know when they're comfortable chasing does or locked down with one on our property. And, you know, for example, um, you guys seen a deer I shot a couple of years ago. What was it? A, you know, not much more than a hundred incher, you know, that eight point. Yeah, nice you've seen, you've seen the quality of deer we shoot. Nothing huge. I mean, just good deer, you know, just nice Michigan deer. I mean, that's, that's what we're, that we're targeting. I, I, I go by that rule, the, the top 10%. You guys probably heard of that. Yep. You know, yep. I hunt the top 10% on our property and that top 10%, might be 105 inch deer, 110 inch deer. Well, I learned years ago to not get disappointed. I don't get disappointed anymore about chasing the 130 that you caught on your camera one time because he might never be back. And it discouraged me after after my brother passed and we started doing this work. I got discouraged. I was spending money. I'm doing all this work and I can't shoot 130 inch deer. I can't even get 120 inch deer. I finally read enough about guys. You know, you got to shoot what's there. And I've had some great hunts in the last four years. I've killed one or two. I've killed a couple in the last four years. I've had three years in a row where I had 120, 130-inch deer within bull range, just like I wanted them to the time of the year I wanted to hunt them, the first or second time I hunted that blind. It all worked out just right. I didn't kill them, but it still made for a great season. You know what I'm saying? Well, so, yeah. you're doing something right is what. Well, what we're you know like. we're learning learning a little more every year, and you, and I've learned, uh, you know, your expectations have to be reasonable. You know, yep. you're hunting a high pressured area where, so, so yeah, yeah, I'm hunting. Well, if I remember, I'm hunting the time of the year that I know I need to hunt. That's what I'm doing. Well, if I remember correctly, your brother shot two dandies right before he passed, didn't he? On yeah, that property? yeah. He, I showed you them pictures. That was he was he was actually. Um, going through chemotherapy, um, and he shot one opening day, and it was the third day of season. He was sitting in my blind when I went back to work, <laughs> and he shot the big <laughs> nine point we were after. And yeah, that's something there. If you, if you guys ever can put a picture up on your website or something, I'd give you that picture. That was uh, oh, we'd love, oh, love to. Yeah, yeah, I'll give you. I'll, I'll get you guys. That that was something else. I mean, and and, and not to stray away from the subject, but he also caught. Caught some perch on Saginaw Bay that last year. Ice fish that no one's ever seen in their life. The size of the perch he caught, it was unreal. But yeah, <laughs> that's another story. <laughs> but yeah, so it's it, it sounds like I mean, you know, you've been putting in this work for six years. Um, you know, you kind of got down on yourself, but then kind of looked at your whole situation and realized what you have to deal with and it seems like it is gonna it is starting to pay off and 
yeah, you might not see those 130s or 40s every year, but, I mean, it sounds like you're having chances at them, which, I mean, guys would pay anything just to see one in the stand, you know what I mean? Yeah, you know, Jesse, that's about that's about exactly how I sum it up, and I I try to sum that up with my friends who look at me and think I'm crazy when I talk about passing deer up and, and putting money into planting trees and the stuff I do. I mean, there's a few people that understand what I do. My wife actually believes in what I do. <laughs> I know you guys do because you guys do the same stuff, but my friends kind of look at me and like, what what do you what's it worth? You know, you're you hear that you're, you, if you don't shoot at your neighbor's gun on, you know. Yeah. But you're right. You're you know I've I've had some I've had some great years in the last five years where I didn't kill nothing, and but I know that I had a 125 or 130 inch deer within 40 yards of me on on the first day I hunted that deer on November 2nd, and to me that was that was worth everything knowing that he come down a trail that I kind of groomed or or you know something like that or I walked into a blind around the pine trees that my brother planted to get into that, you know, just piecing it together. And, yeah, it's, that's really what it's all about. I mean, we, we all have our baskets of horns from years ago, and but it's kind of, it, for me, I guess it's something different now. It's I don't need to shoot a deer every year, but... Well, it sounds good, like you have plenty of plenty of dough you can shoot. Oh, yeah, putting meat in the street. We'll, we'll, never, we'll never go hungry, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my guy finished the job keep buying tags, but <laughs> <laughs> so now based on everything you guys have done, I mean, what do you think your major successes on that property are, and some of your major failures over the years? Hmm, let's start with failures. Uh, <laughs> getting um, failures probably getting too aggressive. Uh, trying to do too much, you know, buying buying a bunch of trees and thinking you're going to plant a bunch of trees and they're all going to grow this year and, you know, and, and not taking care of them. I mean, that, I planted I planted a thousand spruce trees one year and had my mom out there. I had my sister-in-law come out. I had I had everyone, my nephews. And and the next year, not a tree was alive. Oh, my God. Not a single one. Yeah, it was a drought that year, and I think that was 2012. Well, that was probably the last time they helped you, huh? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> you know, and, and then after that, every year planting four or five hundred um, shrubs and not protecting them. You know, trying to you think you're putting them in the right spot where deer don't travel, but they find them. You know, just planting stuff, not protecting it. You know, with too many deer there, I got you know. Um, that would probably be the the fail, since I've been on this endeavor, I guess, is trying to be too aggressive. Um, okay. I would say my biggest accomplishment on the whole thing is uh, taking my time, and I finally I bought another 1,200 Norway spruce, and Daryl and I went out and planted them, and for three years after that, I went out and I sprayed around them. Every year, I put a kill ring around them with a backpack sprayer. And I spent more hours than you guys want to know walking out there a few times this summer and killing every weed around every one of them for three years straight. <laughs> that took a long time. <laughs> and now they're they're successful. They're anywhere from two to five feet tall now. Wow. But, uh, oh, wow. 
Yeah, I, I mean, and there's, I've lined every road. I lined underneath all the pine trees that my brother planted where the limbs are dead, where you can see under them. Now I have new spruce under everyone, and I, I checkered our switchgrass fields. Um, so, you know, we're going to have, we're going to have some good, good habitat, you know, some good hiding area, I guess you could say, in the next five years out there. But, but that and moving the blinds, you know, moving the blinds really helped for seeing deer. And, and then also just, just not hunting, hunting every day, like, like our neighbors do. And, you know, I select my days and I see deer. I might not kill them, but I see them, so. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, to go back on your point, planting a thousand trees and none of them lived, I mean, that probably pushed you even more when you planted the spruces to actually take care of them a little better. And, I mean, you learn from your mistakes, right? Oh, definitely, yeah. I learned from that and, and then getting on the habitat forums and listening to guys' mistakes and hearing hearing guys do the same thing I did. <laughs> you know, you guys are on the right road. I mean, you're do, you're – you're, you're talking to people. You're, you know, on the forums. That's that's how you're going to learn the stuff. And you know, I've listened to your other. I've listened to your other podcasts. You don't need the big equipment to plant this stuff. You don't need to. You know, it's 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 not that hard. You know, to better your hunting. Yeah, and that's and you know you, you hit nail on the head. And that's why me and Jared sat around and figured we'd start this podcast. Just you know for the average Joe like us to learn more, you know, because we're, we're not experts at all. We have tons yeah. to learn, and I feel and like talking to guys like you. Yeah, and neither am I. I just, I have I have seven years of experience, and about three of them are probably failures, and four of them are good years. <laughs> so hopefully I'm on the better percentage. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I got one more question for you here. About all the... Um, <clears throat> All the different varieties of trees you planted, what was your favorite tree? Uh, right now, I'd have to say, well, I'm still pulling for the speckled alder okay. just because I got a soft spot for Scott Bishop's property. And, yep. and and I only have about 12 of them going, Jared, so I'm hoping they pull through and produce millions for me. But I'd have to say the, <laughs> the Norway spruce. I mean, it's a... From what that's going to do for me when they grow up, it's going to totally it's it's going to transform our fifty, just because it's going to put all these pockets all over my switchgrass. I mean, I I, I did what some what some managers would say not to do was plant straight lines, but I think in ours I kind of went against the green. I'm going to try to I'm I'm putting compartments out in my switchgrass. I'm going to make deer travel more. I'm going to make them feel safer in my switchgrass. You know, the switchgrass might be a 8-acre or 10-acre chunk, but it's going to make it a lot bigger when them trees grow up to be 20 foot tall. Yeah. Well, no, yeah. I mean, you're not alone when you're planting Norway spruce and uh, switchgrass. A lot of people are yeah. at least talk about, you know, putting those yeah. two things in in terms of uh, cover. So, yeah, 10 years from now, you're going to have the thickest place around. Well, I'm hoping. I'm hoping. We'll see. Yeah. Awesome. So, you know, I've been itching to ask this question since we started. Um, I'm getting away from your property for a minute, but you said you just went to Iowa. 
And yep. I know we, we've talked about, because uh, I know Jared and I are hopefully going to draw for our tag this year, and I think you are too. Mm-hmm. But tell us a little bit about Iowa and, you know, the habitat differences you saw there and a little bit about your scouting trip. Oh, man. I mean, <laughs> I'm a Michigan man. I hate to bash Michigan, but what a what a, <laughs> what a beautiful thing. And, and, you know, you know, walking in the woods in the spring isn't the most gorgeous thing in the world. Right. But, yeah. Oh man, was it attractive! I mean, the, the scrapes—the scrapes on the ground were the size of the hood of my truck in the springtime. Even Jeez. it was—it was not hard to find sign, and we were walking state land. I mean, that's all we walked was state land, and the, the rub lines and the scrapes and the the, the sign was definite. I mean, it's the 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 bucks are definitely more active in Iowa from what we could see from spring scouting. You know, I've been okay. I've been to Illinois, I've been to Canada, I've haunted them spots, I've seen better ratios than Michigan, so I've seen more active bucks, you know, where calls work better, there's more sign, and Iowa, to me, from what I've seen, Iowa might be the best I've ever seen so far, and I haven't been there in the fall even. But Well, scouting in the spring. It was awesome. Yeah, I mean, you you should be seeing what it looks like in the fall based on um, your timing right now. So that's, it should look pretty similar to what happened in the fall with what you're seeing now. So that's well, sort of hoping, except I'm hoping to hear some grunts and some yeah, yeah, stuff yeah. like that coming through the woods. <laughs> yeah. So was that? We can get out there. I'm hoping we're out there at the same or? time as you boys. Oh, we could only imagine. We're, uh, well, it's almost time to get in for our tags, and hopefully yep. we get drawn this year. Yep. Yeah, Matt, how many points do you have right now? We're only at three, so we're about a 50-50 chance. We're going uh, three We're going three guys as a party. And so what zone? We're going six. Okay. Well, We might not draw, but we're prepared for that. We're if in we the same great. boat. We have uh, yeah. three each, and we're going to zone six. So. Are you guys doing six? I thought you were doing four. Maybe we're, are we five? Wait a minute. I thought you I guys think, were a different zone. I thought we were I think two, you're five. Right? I think you're north. I think you're north of us because we're going southeast. Yeah. Is that five or six? Uh, six is in the southeast corner. And five, All right. We're we're five. five. I'm sorry. Bit, um, we're five. Further west. Yeah. Okay. We're Rathbun Lake area. We're five. Okay. Yep. Awesome. So yeah, hopefully it all works out, man. Yeah, that'd be great. Now, was this terrain, was it hilly, was it flat, what was it like, big woods? It was hilly, it was hilly, I mean, a lot of a lot of bottoms, you know, up and down, it wasn't that bad, even a guy out of shape like like you and I, Jesse, can walk that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I need to stop for a beer break every half hour. Yeah, so. I wouldn't want to drag a deer, I mean, I was looking for the best spot to either take a boat or a kayak or something, but... Yeah, no, it's 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 up and down. It's nothing like Michigan. Maybe closer to what you guys have down south, but okay. Yeah, it's it's. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm excited. You guys find any sheds? No, we didn't actually. Okay. We didn't find any, but we didn't necessarily walk. You know, and I'm guessing that shed hunters walk deer trails and all that stuff. We just kind of roamed around and had no clue how to shed hunt. We're not yeah. shed hunters. And then we talked to some guys at a local bar, and they said, if you're walking on deer trails or walking this area, 
there's already been guys that have been shed hunting there for three weeks. Yeah, makes sense. And it's a big thing, I guess, in Iowa. It's a it's a huge. I mean, they have like buck poles for shed hunting out there. I guess. Oh wow! Is what I'm hearing. I'm, yeah, I'm just hearing that's a huge deal out there. Competition. You know, that's true. And find the biggest sheds. That's true. Because I, I was reading an article about a guy who doesn't even deer hunt anymore. Him and his group of buddies, all they do is shed hunt. Yeah. I know we walked so. two pieces of property that were state land, and we talked to the locals there, and I, we got to know them because they knew people before us from our area that have went there, so we kind of mm-hmm. had mutual friends. And we know that two 200-inch 200, two 200 deer were killed within the same grounds we were walking within the last few years. So, wow. so to be able to walk on property where you know a 200-inch deer was killed, it's a it's a totally different feeling than walking out in a, your property out in Michigan. <laughs> it's a and I'm not bashing it. I mean, I love hunting here, but our buddies, you know, we looked at each other like, wow, a 200 inch deer was killed here two years ago. I mean, that's that's pretty cool just to know that. I you couldn't know. even imagine. It's a it's yeah, a different, it's a different thought process when you're walking around out there. Wow, you know, you're in the land of giants, so. <laughs> yeah, so they say. <laughs> yeah, so, right. Love it. But, well, Matt, um, we're kind of coming to that time. Um, yeah. Is there anything else uh, you got questions for us or uh, you want to talk about or anything you want to get out to our viewers? No, I'm listeners? good, man. I just I just want to keep listening to you guys. It's good to listen. I, I've listened to your podcast before me. I mean, those guys are probably a lot more knowledgeable than I was, so... I'm just going to keep listening on you guys and try to pick up some info here and there, see if it can help us out in Gagetown. Awesome, man. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to hopefully getting up there this summer, doing a little fishing and uh, yeah. getting up to your property, and hopefully you'll let me whack one of those does. You bet. You guys get up here, and uh, definitely we need to kill some of them does. That's you too, Jared. Get up here. and All right, man. Yeah, I'll you, take you guys can see, You guys can come up here and see what this pressured area looks like. I'll give oh, you a I first-hand tour. <laughs> that would be awesome. All right. How about you, Jess? Are All right, brother. No, man, I think uh, I, I enjoyed having you, man. I think it's good just to listen to a guy who's uh, in, wearing the same shoes we are, and uh, it's it's cool. You know, we're, we're in southeast Michigan, so it's definitely cool to see the struggles you're having up in the thumb compared to what we're having or other guys, you know, up north. Um, yeah. And we're only we're 45 minutes from you, but it's a completely different land. Right, right. You know what? Our struggles are still – we're still fortunate to have them struggles, though, if you think about it, you know. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I, mean, I can sit here – we can complain about not killing big deer like they do in Iowa now, but at least we get to see deer and get to go hunting all the time. So I've come to, that. I've come to terms with that. I'm good with it, so. <laughs> awesome. All right, man. Well, Matt, well, we appreciate you. Yeah, thanks again for getting on. I uh, really appreciate your time. I'll let you know that. And um, I'd like to have you on again sometime, so we'll talk again soon. Hey, anytime. We'll talk to you guys. All right. Thanks, man. Thanks. All right. We'll see you. Awesome. You still there, Matt? Well, Jeff, that was another good hour uh, spent here learning about some... Uh, you know, what worked and what didn't work, I think, is 
we'll probably call that podcast if if you agree. I mean, it just sounds like the trials and tribulations of just a regular guy like us, you know? Yeah, you know, uh, I think sounding of it, and, and, you know, I've been fortunate to see Matt's property, but it's definitely unique, and the listeners will get to see that when he posts his aerial. But, you know, I think he's in the right direction, and uh, I can't wait to go out and hopefully learn a little more because, you know, it seems like he has a high-pressure area, which, you know, we're that's, that's what we deal with here in Michigan, unfortunately. Yep. So I think he's on the right track. You got it. But, um, yeah, I think uh, think think that was good talking to Matt, and uh, I can't wait for our next podcast. But I uh, appreciate all the listeners out there. And as you guys know, uh, you can find us at our website, which is Habitat podcast.com we're also on facebook just look us up and we're available on the stitcher radio app and also itunes so give us a like share our content give us some feedback let us know what you guys think and uh, we look forward to hearing from you thanks for listening guys appreciate it